Now, if you were new with us this morning, we have been going through the Gospel of Matthew, looking at some of the key events in the life of Jesus. Now, just to kind of clarify our plan for the next few months, uh, we're looking at these different events uh, in Jesus' life as we head to Easter. Uh, what we're going to do is then come back to uh, what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew chapter 5 to 7. So if you're wondering why maybe we're skipping that, uh, don't worry, we're going to come back to that uh, here in a few months. Uh, so, so if you have Matthew chapter 11, 11 I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. It's also on the screen. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The last time that we saw John the Baptist in the gospel of Matthew is chapter 3. And what took place in chapter 3 is that John is announcing the kingdom of God. He, announced, he is announcing that the Messiah is about to come. And he is preaching and he is telling the people that the kingdom is there and people are coming out, uh, turning from their sin, they're repenting from their sin, and they're being baptized. And then as all these baptisms are happening, Jesus shows up. You imagine the scene. John is announcing the Messiah and then here is Christ and Christ comes to John, and, and John didn't understand all this, but Jesus says to John, I want you to baptize me. I want you to fulfill all righteousness and baptize me. And John, he again doesn't quite understand it, but he does what Jesus asked him to do, and he baptizes Jesus, and as Jesus is coming out of the water, they both hear this voice from God the Father that, that Jesus it says of God the Father, this is my son, I love you. I am well pleased in you. And both Jesus and John heard this. Imagine that scene. I mean, for John, that had to be the high point of his ministry. But then as we come to chapter 11, the scene is much different. John, who is now in prison, is questioning. He's having doubts. Jesus, are you really the Messiah? It's a shocking statement, what we've seen in chapter 3. And then John asks, Jesus, are you really the one? It's a shocking statement. But though it may surprise us at first, I, I really don't think it should surprise us that John had doubts. 
Because when you go throughout the entire Bible, one person after another, those that follow the Lord, each of them, it almost seems, has doubts about their relationship with God. We think of Abraham. We think of Moses. We think of David. All of these that we lift up and they have great faith, but yet they had moments in their life where they doubt. You look at church history. You think of someone like Martin Luther. You may not be familiar with him, but he, he read this great reformation, rediscovering the, the gospel. He, he changed really Western society in so many different ways, but yet he had intense times of doubt. We think of the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Maybe you've heard of him and, and he had great times of depression, but also great times of doubt. And you look at them and you say, how could they have doubt? They've done such amazing things for God, but yet there it is. And so though we may initially be surprised that John would say this, again, throughout the Bible and throughout history, we see followers of Jesus having doubt in their life. And I actually find this encouraging because in my life, I have doubt. And I'm sure you do as well. We don't understand everything. We, we have questions. We have doubt. To be a follower of Jesus means that you will have doubts in your faith, that you will have doubts about Christ in all the ways that he works. And so this morning, we're going to look at this account that Jesus has with John the Baptist. And again, I hope it's an encouragement for you. And so we're going to look at, look at these causes, these, these reasons that John doubts. And I think what you'll find is how similar they are to ours. We're also going to look at how we can deal with doubt to, to move past it and to, to grow in our faith. But I also want to add this. You're going to notice as we go through this, it's very focused on the, the doubts of a, of, of a believer. And you may not be a believer. You may not be a follower of Jesus yet. And, and, and I want to say, first of all, we are so glad that you are here. One of the things that I hope you see this morning is yes, how you can deal with some of your doubts, but also that as a church, we want to be this place that you can be open and honest, that, that we all have struggles. We don't all have it together. We have doubts, and I hope you see that honesty because maybe that's been keeping you away from following Jesus, and I hope that's not the case. Now, as we think about doubt, we need to, to understand doubt properly. So first of all, what is doubt? First of all, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Sometimes faith and doubt are kind of held to be in opposition to each other, but that is actually incorrect. Now, when we speak of the word faith, I want to kind of clarify that because this can be misunderstood. The word faith, really, you could substitute the word trust. So as you're reading through the Bible and you see that word faith, I would encourage you to just substitute the word trust, and that may give you kind of a clear picture of what faith is. Now, secondly, doubt is not the same as unbelief. Okay, doubt and unbelief are different. As we kind of think about faith and, and doubt and, and unbelief, I find this kind of a short little quote helpful from uh, Oz Guinness. He has a, a book actually on doubt. You might want to check that out. But he says this, Doubt is to be suspended between faith and unbelief. Okay, let me say that again. Doubt is to be suspended between faith and unbelief. That is, doubt is placed right in the middle, if you will, between faith and unbelief. So the opposite of, of faith is not doubt. It is unbelief. So I want you to look at this on the screen there. You're going to see this diagram. 
And you have faith on one side, you have unbelief on the other, and doubt is right there. Now, on the positive side, doubt can actually be a good thing. Now, we don't want to celebrate it, kind of be stuck there forever, but yet doubt can really cause us to, to question our faith, but to dig, to dig in. That we have these questions, that we, we, we're not kind of confused about different things. And so we, so we go in our doubt and we, we try to seek out some answers. And as we do that, we're pulled in the direction of faith. But on the negative side, if you just stay stuck in your doubt, you never get to that point where you're, you're trusting in Christ and in God's word. It's going to pull you in that direction. It's going to pull you toward unbelief. So I hope that kind of clarifies a little bit about what faith and doubt and unbelief is. Now, also, we need to clarify this. When it comes to doubt, there are two dangerous views about doubt that can emerge. And the first danger is this, that we can celebrate doubt. I think this is very much what we're seeing in so many Christian circles today. It's very popular to to raise up and to praise and, and to celebrate doubt. But what happens is there's so much ambiguity around this, there's no answers that we ever come to that we stay stuck. And what happens again is we get pulled in the direction of unbelief. And so we lift up those terms like deconstruction. And that can be a a positive thing, again, if we're kind of digging for answers and and wanting to uh, grow our trust in Christ. But if we just stay there, and this kind of middle ground, the devil, the, the Satan, the, the enemy of our soul that we looked at last week, he's going to pull you in that direction of unbelief. And we have seen this from so many of those that popular Christians, if you will, I kind of hate that word, but popular Christians and music, pastors, they stay in that doubt and they're pulled and their faith is destroyed. Now, the other danger is that of condemning doubt. And I think this is uh, something that we kind of have to struggle with in our own church, to be honest. To be honest that we can condemn doubt. Sometimes we can maybe not be open and and honest about our doubt. Maybe you grew up in a a family like this, where it's almost like you couldn't share any struggles that you had. Or maybe you grew up in a church like that, where if you even kind of mentioned some doubt or mentioned some questions, it was looked down upon. It's kind of, shush, you know, don't say that out loud. But again, I I want to be, we want to be a church that that doesn't celebrate doubt, but we're, we're open that we can share our struggles with each other. But also, as I was reflecting on, the, on this this week, I think this is particularly important for us as, as parents or maybe grandparents if you're dealing with your kids and, and teenagers. See, we can seek to raise our kids to know and love Jesus, but sometimes we, we don't kind of have this, um, this openness to share our struggles with our children. It's kind of this picture, if you will, of a, of a mom or a dad who's so worried that their kids are going to get germs, right, and get sick, that they just keep them from everything. But what happens is they, they don't build up any immunity. I can remember when my kids were younger, it seemed like from age two to eight, they were just always sick, right? So it's such a battle. And, I, and we didn't like it. We would complain about it. It was tough. But yet now that they're older, they've built up some immunity and they, they don't get sick as often. I think this is the same with with our kids and our teenagers' doubt that they have. Let them express some of that. I mean, they're going to seek answers. They're going to try to go somewhere to find some answers. So let that be in our home. 
Let that continue to be in our church where they can ask those hard questions. And they, they will ask some hard questions. I mean, they got some good ones. But yet let them ask. It may strengthen your faith. You can be open with them and say, hey, I don't know. Let, let's find out some answers here. And so, again, I would just encourage you if, with your kids or if you're a grandparent with your, with your uh, grandkids, let it be a place in your home that they can share some of their struggles. Now, let's look at some of the factors that we see from this passage that can lead us to doubt as we follow Jesus. And, and what we're going to see that what John struggles with is very similar to what we struggle with. Now, his is you know, much more specific on some things, but yet it's, it's very similar to some of our struggles and doubts. And so the three main factors that we find from this passage is that John struggled with this. He had doubts because of dirt, difficult circumstances, of unmet expectations, and limited perception. So let's work our way through each of those to see what John was dealing with, and again, maybe a similar struggle that we can have. So first of all, we find that John is in a difficult circumstance because he's in prison. Now, what had happened is the ruler of this area was a man named Antipas, Herod Antipas. Herod is a, a title. And he had a brother, Philip. Philip was married to this lady called Herodias. Well, they divorced, and then Herodias and Antipas got married. It was very kind of wicked, messed up family drama. And so John, he calls them out on this. He says, that's not right. It's not lawful. As you can imagine, Antipas didn't care for that. And so he throws John in prison. And so here's John, this forerunner to the Messiah, languishing in this awful prison. Now remember too, John is an outdoorsman. Remember we were looking a couple weeks ago at his kind of crazy clothing and, and, and the food he ate, you know, honey and, and wild locusts, locusts or grasshoppers. Now, I just have to say kind of a side note. I know I'm kind of early in my new role as a senior pastor, but I, I realize I got to be careful with some of the things I highlight because last week I was given a gift. It was chocolate. And you're saying, hey, this sounds good. It was chocolate covered grasshoppers. All right. I'm not going to point out who did it. They sit somewhere over there. <laughs> when they handed me this gift, they said, hey, no pressure. You don't need to eat it. Like I was feeling a pressure uh, to do that. But I have to say this week, I opened up the, the package. And I was looking in there. There's about six little grasshoppers. To be honest, you can't even tell as it's so covered with chocolate. Except you can see little wings and little feet at the bottom of the bag. So if you're wondering... We don't have food for the Super Bowl. What should we eat? I have them in my office. You can, you can have a bite, all right? <laughs> and so John, this outdoorsman, he's been living free, right? But he's in prison. He's in this terrible place, and he begins to have doubts about Jesus. And we've been there, right? Life gets hard, struggles at work, struggles in our marriage, struggles with our kids, and we begin to ask those questions. We begin to have doubts. Lord, do you care? Lord, do you see what's happening? Lord, are you concerned about me? Lord, how much longer am I going to have to face this situation? But it wasn't just difficult circumstances that John uh, was causing him to doubt. It was also unmet expectations. See, John thought that Jesus who was the long-awaited Messiah, would not act in the way that Jesus was acting. 
If you want to stay in Matthew 11, turn to Matthew chapter 3. It'll also be on the screen. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. This gives us some insight, uh, kind of what John was, was thinking, the, the, his message, and what he thought the Messiah would do. So remember, he's, he's talking about the Messiah. He's announcing judgment. Turn from your sin. Get right with God. And in verse 7 of chapter 3, we read this. But when he, that is John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, this religious, the very uptight, hypocritical religious people, uh, they were coming to where he was baptizing. He said to them, you brood of vipers, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He goes on in verse nine, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down. He's speaking of them and thrown into the fire, the judgment fire. Now, maybe you've heard the term hellfire and brimstone preaching. This is exhibit A, all right? John is calling them out. And John has these expectations that when the Messiah came, that, that iniquity would be judged that those that were living in sin, they, they would be judged, that injustice would be removed from the land, that when the Messiah come, he would set up his kingdom, he would destroy Rome, and the kingdom would now be a kingdom of justice and righteousness. And this is what John thought would immediately happen when Christ arrived. But it wasn't just John, this was the popular view of the Jewish people. They'd been under the oppression of nation after nation. They longed for a king to deliver them. This is why sometimes when we read through the gospels, we're like, Jesus, why, why aren't you more clear about who you are? Why do you tell people not to say anything? It's this reason. He knew if he would say certain things too early uh, because they wanted this political figure, this military figure, they would take him and make him king. See, what John was dealing with, and I think this is the main factor leading to his doubt, is that John thought that judgment for wickedness and evil, the removal of injustice was coming when Jesus would arrive. And John had spoken up against this evil and it got him in prison. And he's there in prison and he just doesn't get it. All these unmet expectations. But to make matters worse, John thought, again, all this injustice and everything would be done away with. What is Jesus doing? He's meeting with sinners. He's meeting with tax collectors. This is the, the worst of society. You know, it was said of Jesus that he was a drunk and a glutton. And why would, it, why would the gospels record that? Because he was drinking and eating with sinners and tax collectors. And he wasn't a drunk, actually. But that was the insult they were thrown at him because he was with this rough group of people. And John doesn't get it. He says, this makes no sense. His expectations were not being met. And so again, I, I ask us, I ask you, I ask myself this week, what are some of the expectations that you have for your life? You became a follower of Jesus and you thought your marriage would get better. You raised your kids in church to know the Lord. They turned 18 or whatever and they, they took off. They could care less about Jesus. And so we have these expectations Many times they are good expectations. We're trying to be faithful. We're trying to do what the Lord wants us to do, but they are not met. And it's hard. 
It's a struggle. I mean, I'm, I'm there with you. And this is where John was at. And then lastly, John had a, a limited perception when it came to Jesus as the Messiah. What I find fascinating is that John, he's this one prophesied about in Isaiah and Malachi. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. He, he just didn't know so many things about Jesus. I mean, Jesus shows up on the scene to be baptized, and John says, no, I, don't, I, I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus pushes back and says, no, just do it, John. Just do what I say. Jesus, he's meeting with the, the tax collectors and sinners, and he's showing compassion and, and grace. This is different than what John expected. He, he's confused. And so here is John, this great prophet, the one announcing the Messiah, and he has this limited perception. And this is, again, the same with us. We, we have such a, a small view. Isn't it so frustrating being a follower of Jesus? Even sometimes, you know, you hear like, hey, once you went through this difficulty, you know, kind of the Lord will show you. So often he doesn't show us that at all. We can step back and we look and it's still confusing. We have a very limited perception. So we question God's timing. We question God's plan. It just doesn't make sense. We don't see the full picture. See, these are all the issues that John is dealing with. This is what is causing him to have this doubt. And so to his credit, he goes to Jesus, you know, through his friends. He, he goes to Jesus, and here's what Jesus does. He says, I want you to go back. I want you to report to John what you hear and what you see, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. See, what Jesus is doing is pointing John back to the prophet Isaiah. This was a very oral culture. And so John would have had Isaiah totally memorized. Amazing, right? And so Jesus is saying, John, go back to Isaiah. What we, you know, today would be chapter 29 and 35 and 42 and 61. He's saying, John, remember the context of these passages that speak of the Messiah. That yes, these passages speak of judgment for sin and injustice. And one day when I'm on my throne, that will take place. But John, I'm not here for that yet. I'm here to do what has always been prophesied about the Messiah. That he would bring people to faith. That those that are hurting would be comforted. Those that had disease and blindness, they would be healed. Those that died would be raised. And that I am proclaiming the gospel. That those that need salvation, I am providing that for them. And then Jesus goes on in verse 6 and says, Blessed, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. We need to hear that with our unmet expectations, with our limited perception, with the difficult circumstances that we can be in that cause us to doubt, that we need to remember not to stumble, not to have offense. What Jesus is saying, don't fall away from me when you don't understand everything. Continue to trust me. Don't fall away. Continue to pursue me. Continue to trust me. This is what Jesus was saying to John. This is what he is saying to us today. So these are some of the, the main factors that John was dealing with, causing him to doubt. Now from this passage, I want to look at three ways uh, that we can learn how to deal with our doubt. And the first is this, in dealing with doubt, go towards 
Jesus. What I love in this story is John has this intense, you know, just season of doubt. And he goes to Jesus. I think sometimes in our doubts, we think, you know, I need to take like a a retreat or a break from Jesus. I need to go figure it out on my own. And then once I kind of answer some of those questions, I'll maybe come back to Jesus. But as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, that is not the way that we are to handle our doubts. Instead, we are to go to Jesus. I mean, John the Baptist, again, is struggling, but he goes to Christ. And when you go to Jesus, and I think this is a good exercise, do we believe in the idea of Jesus or that he's an actual person, that he hears us, that he knows our struggles? And so we go to Christ and we're open and we're honest. I think sometimes we want to hide from Christ how we actually feel in our moments of doubt, but he, but he already knows. He already knows our struggles. But what I also find so comforting in this past is that, is that John has these doubts. But Jesus is so compassionate and loving and gracious to him. When he hears this question from John, he doesn't say, go back to John and say, come on, John, get it together. But instead, Jesus is gracious. He actually says of John to the crowd, just to, to make sure they knew that John did not stumble and fall away that John was the greatest person ever born. It's amazing. Jesus so tender and compassionate to John, and he is the same with us. And so if you are having doubts today, go toward Christ. Be open with him. Be honest. Share your struggles with him. Secondly, dwell on God's word. For John, when he had these doubts, what did Jesus do? He pointed him back to scripture. And when we have doubt, we need to do the same. We need to go to God's word. We need to go to the Psalms. The Psalms, which just all these great uh, and open emotions. We need to go to the Psalms and see what they said to God. Some of it may surprise you, but yet they're open with God and, and he answers their questions. We go to the book of Job in times of suffering. And this is one of the advantages that we have is is the internet. And I mean that seriously. That you can Google, I'm struggling with this. I have doubts about this. And and many resources will show up that you can go to to help uh, find God's word and and how the Lord helps and and answers some of those doubts that you may have, provides that comfort that you may need. But we also have an advantage over John. And this is why Jesus says in verse 11 that anyone that comes after John is greater than him. Jesus is talking about us. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? It means that you and I have a clearer and fuller picture of the gospel than even what John the Baptist had. See, John, he he actually will be killed uh, in prison when we get to Matthew chapter 14. And so John never saw the cross. He never saw Jesus rise from the dead. And so we have a much fuller picture of God's love and care for us. And so when we are questioning, when we are having doubts about God's love and and compassion for us, we go to the cross and we see the great love that Jesus has for us. When our circumstances in life are so confusing and we're questioning, does God have this under control? Is he strong enough in this? We remember the resurrection power, that the power that raised Christ is the power that is working in our lives today. And so dwell on the gospel. You you have an advantage over John the Baptist. It's amazing. 
And then thirdly, share your experience with others. John is in prison and he sends his friends to Jesus. And Jesus responds by saying, go back and report to John what what you hear and see. And I love that. John's getting some help from his friends. And in our times of doubt and when we're struggling, we need to go to our friends. We need to go to our family, our, our spouse. And we can learn from them. And we can lean on them. A couple of weeks ago as a staff, we just went around the, the room and just shared our story of, of coming to faith and shared some of the highs and, and some of the lows. And it was so encouraging that we could connect with some of these things. Others, it was kind of new for us to hear. And this is what we should do with our doubts, that you have a friend or two that you, you share your story, that, that you're open about some of the, the struggles that you have. And maybe they've gone through it and they can help you. Or maybe it's just them encouraging you and sending texts. And so again, don't just handle it by yourself. Lean on others. And so as we conclude, my hope for you today is that in your times of doubt, and we we will all have doubts as followers of Jesus, is that you're encouraged by this passage. Not that we want to stay in doubt, but you're encouraged because all followers of Jesus have these times of doubt. But yet in that doubt where you're kind of stuck in the middle, don't just stay there. Pursue faith. Pursue trust in Christ. And go to him. Lean on others. And dwell and reflect on the gospel. And so again, I hope you're encouraged. Because if you don't have doubts, today you will at some point. Go to this passage. Learn from John. Go to Christ. Please bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. I want to give you a moment to uh, respond, a time of invitation. So I would encourage you right now, if you have some doubts, to, to go to Jesus right now in your seat. Also know that the altar is open, and you can, you can confess that. You can be open with the Lord. But also here in a few moments when we, when we sing the invitation song, it may be that you want to come up front. Know that we will have our prayer team. You can lean on them. They will help you. There may be others that come up front uh, to help you as well. But also I want to give a, a time of invitation. If you are, if you never stepped over that line of faith, you're kind of in that curious stage right now, checking things out. Again, we're, we're glad you're here. But there needs to be a moment in your life where you cross over that line and you put your trust in Jesus. If that is you today, I would love to help you in that and pray for you in that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage. Lord, we thank you for the realness of the Bible. Lord, the struggle that John the Baptist had. Lord, let that be an encouragement to us. But Lord, also, we don't want to lift up doubt. Lord, we want to use it in the positive sense, Lord, to to push us towards you and, Lord, to grow our faith. Lord, we thank you for your love and compassion for us. Lord, we thank you for your grace that you continue to show in our life. Lord, we thank you for how tender you are to us. Lord Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.